Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm not Will. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and this week we are talking about section one of Never Say You Can't Survive by Charlie Jane Anders. Continuing our conversation from last week. I'm super stoked. Uh, This week, though... Nick is moderating our little adventure. So uh, what you got for us this week, man? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I'm so excited to be going over this book. Like, in general, it's it, it's such an empowering piece that, like, it re- like I, I just fall in love with every section that I read. Um, but, you know, tonight I kind of want to highlight a couple things from the chapters and stuff like that. Um, but really, like... This is all about character building. This is getting you to start. Um, so I found a lot of good things out of here. A couple things that we're going to kind of go through. I need to preface everything that we say here and we quote Charlie Jane on. Um, nothing is a hard set fast rule. Like nothing's in a particular order. Nothing says you have to do it this way or anything like that. These are all tools and guidelines to kind of walk you through stuff and be able to kind of get you pointing in the right direction. Um, but if you're reading this with us, like you'll understand Charlie Jane Anders has said multiple times throughout this, this is not a hard set thing. This is just something you can do, something you can add to your toolbox. So I just want to kind of preface everything with that before we get started here. Um, but I, I'm going to turn it to you guys first, right? Give me some general thoughts and opinions about this section. Brent, you start. Okay, I wasn't sure. All right, so for me, uh, my uh, well, I just remember like when I was very first reading this. Oh, also, side note, I know um, this book is also now a Hugo winner after this weekend. Woo! So, yeah, awesome. This work. is so good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, I wanted to throw that out there. All right, so um, what I like about this section is the. And I think it kind of is a thread that goes through the whole book in some ways is that um, Charlie Jane encourages is ah, can't talk, encourages experimentation, doesn't expect you to um, just stick to the first thing that you try. Um, she encourages you to try like like as many things as it takes to get the story right. Like what I, what I like is that the the idea of playing around and exploring is taken very seriously. It's not written off as, um, as frivolous. I think, you know, you see not to get too off track, but you see it happening in like, uh, like education and stuff where the idea of play and playtime and all this stuff is like, is, um, diminished and devalued. Whereas I think with Charlie Jane, like what you see with this in this section is the idea of like, Having fun with it and trying new things and in having fun is how you find the um the root of what you need to do to create your create the characters that are gonna drive the story. So that's my general thoughts on it. No, no, I love it. Marshall, what were your just overall thoughts on this section? High high overview. The the part that stood out to me the most, honestly, was the personal story with the with the teacher. That saved that that basically that says I mean the the chapter three the teacher who saved my life and made me a writer like 
a lot of us, I know for me, I have a teacher like that in my life. It was my seventh grade English teacher, you know, and it was like the personal ever, you know, just the personal part of it, you know, a famous writer telling, giving you advice is one thing, but to write it down and say, look, this was my story. This was something that worked for me. This person saved me. Do you have a story to relate? And how do you push past your stuff and get your, and, and, and get your ideas on the page too? So I thought, I don't know. I thought that was really, that stood out to me the most, honestly. Yeah. Well, no, I love all the thoughts. I mean, Charlie Jane does a really good job of opening this up uh, here in the beginning and, the getting started section, I love how we have chapter one is, is how to make your own imaginary friends. And one of my favorite lines from this chapter um, is in the second paragraph there. And it says, there's something both weird and tyrannical about being a person and getting stuck in just one point of view all the time. Everyone has that experience sometimes where you wake up from a vivid dream and for a moment you don't remember where you are. And what's been going on. Everything from your skin outward feels like a blank slate. Which in, if, with infinite possibilities. Until reality comes smashing back down onto you. I like that section right there. Um, having it fit into creating your own imaginary friends here. Because it, it really is all about creating new characters each time you write. Creating new characters for each story that fit the story that you want to tell. Um, so just wanted to kind of highlight that and, you know, it really is like characters are a blank slate. And so that's where we're going to start tonight. Um, let's go off of some advice here that, uh, Charlie Jane gives on creating a new character. So I wrote them down and there's different sections to each one. I just kind of want to kind of talk about each one as a whole, and then I want to ask you guys a couple questions about this section. And then and that's kind of be, going to be the plot line here, or the outline for tonight, right? We're going to talk about a chapter, highlight a couple of things, and ask a couple questions here. So Charlie James lists these different things that you need to be, be using or thinking about when creating a character. So be curious. The other one is embracing change. Um, for another one, give your character a strong point of view, put your character at odds with their world, which is actually one of my favorite ones. Start with a type and then mess them up. Start with an intense situation, then figure out who's in it. Give your protagonist a goal they can never have. Imagine extreme action and then try to picture the person doing it. The chapter finishes up with a section called We All Contain Multitudes. And I think that's something that's really important here to remember when we're creating these first characters um, on this is, you know, they're multifaceted characters, right? We're not one-dimensional, two-dimensional. You know, we want live 3D, 4D characters that we're creating. So I got the list, read the list. You guys have it in your books right now, too. So I want to know of the points made by Charlie Jane Anders, which one of those strikes you the, the most that you would like to use or you do use? Marshall? I knew you were going to call me first. I put exclamation points next to give your protagonist a goal they can never have. Um, I know for me, like right now in the book I'm working on for our MFA, uh, 
my main character has a kind of a simple goal. It's kind of like the, I don't know if you guys have seen Gladiator, you know, like his goal is basically to just have his farm, you know, and, and tend the land, you know, and be done with all that stuff. And it's like, it's a goal. It's not complicated, but it's super complex. And the fact is he probably will never have it. You know what I mean? And so like the goal that I have in my, for my character is similar, like, Retire and run a space, you know, uh, what a space repair depot, basically, right? Um, but there's something that is going to keep getting, um, keep keep them off that track. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what. But the, there's always the goal at the at the end to try to get there, right? Um, so that 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 stood out to me. I like I like that advice a lot, or that section a lot. Brett. Uh, so for me, um. The one that I think I probably always try to consider the most is think about what your character isn't seeing. Because I think especially when you're writing um, bigger worlds, there's there's going to be so much that your character doesn't know about. All right. Doesn't, you know, and I, I think we we talk about it um, all the time, especially like in terms of like social media, when people bring up oh, well, how come you didn't speak up on this subject? Or how come you didn't speak on that? Well, it's impossible to know everything that's going on at all times. So even with the best of intentions. And also, and then, so that's one aspect of how I think about that. But then there's the other aspect of how I think about it when um the blind spots you have for people or how like how uh, how one person lives in your head differently than they live in someone else's. And how like, you know, you can see it in a, uh, you can be reading a story, you know, this character is, is very, very much has, is very much has like great love for a family member. And anyone else reading the story is like, man, this family member is treacherous. You need to watch out for them. But they don't see it because, you know, they care about them. And so I, I like, I like, I like that because I think that's, for me at least, I think that's one of the easiest ways to humanize a character is by giving them something that, you know, they're oblivious to and that everyone else seems to be able to see. No, I, re- I really like that. Um, and it kind of, you know, for me, I kind of echo what Marshall said, give your protagonist a goal that can never have. You kind of, it's kind of messed up to give them, make them want something that, you know, I'm never going to give you that. I'm always going to make you struggle to have that. Um, but I, what I found really fascinating for me, at least, um, was putting your character at odds with their world. And the reason I found this one a little bit more fascinating and something I need to probably do more is I write highly competent characters all the time. And that's like a default of mine. And so this one actually challenges me is if I'm in a world where you have to be good at, let's say being an assassin or a spy and I put them at odds with that, that is an incompetent character at that point. Right. For me. And so I felt that one would challenges me a lot when I'm coming up with new characters um, and things like that, especially main characters. So I really like that one. Um, you know, next question here though, what is it mentioned in this list that you guys do use when creating a new character? Brent, we'll start with you. Like what is it used? Cause this is a very thorough list. Um, it's hard to say. So like, Cause this, so this in particular, it seems to speak a lot about, um, 
like creating this, uh, creating your character in the vacuum a little bit. I don't know. This is hard. This is a very, it's a very thorough list. Uh, I've got one. I was saying, because like, I feel like this is like when I read it, I was like, this yeah, is actually saying, a really good checklist. So <laughs> I was thinking no, the same it, thing. I was like, what am I going to say? Yeah. You got like, something, I, Nick? Tell us. Yeah. I, I do. So I love taking my main character and making them do something mundane within their world, taking out the trash, making their bed, cleaning their house. Like sh- we did it for the MFA program, starting mm-hmm. a fire by hand. How does that look in your world? Right. So it's not just character building, but now you're doing world building with that on top of that. So I like I like making my characters do the mundane when I get stuck. How do they react when they're stuck in line for three hours and they're at the grocery store and they're trying to check out? What do they do during a heat wave with no AC? <coughs> Brent. Uh, <laughs> the heat is real. We know, buddy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I like that's that's a technique I like using. Um, and even it's it's one of those like you can daydream about that. Like, how boring is this? Is you know, this character has to go and do this, but this is a daily part of life. And what does it look like? And what avenues can that lead you down? And when it comes to world building, so I guess I have one, but I feel like it could slot under a couple of these possibly. But I always like to figure out what they're lying about. Like whether it's lying to themselves or lying to someone else, because we all lie and we all keep secrets. So those are the that's one thing I was like to figure out. Like what are you keeping secret? Why are you keeping a secret? And like who are you keeping a secret from? Or like what you're lying about? And even if it's lying to yourself, like what what are you, what lies are you telling? Because I think that is as important as a as knowing like their fundamentals. I think to me at least. No, I really like that. Marshall, do you have one? Not really. I was kind of thinking like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. In my head, it's more, and I, it can probably slide under here somewhere too, but, you know, who would they risk their life for? Who would they save? Like, who, like, who is most important? Like, with that in mind, fleshing them out and figuring out how they would move through the world um, in other situations, even mundane situations might change once you know that. You know what I mean? Um so that's kind of the more emotional side of it. Yeah, that was something I saw. Um, v Schwab, I think, was the one who said it too, and that I found to be interesting was um, figure out what line they won't cross. Because mm. like, you always think about like the lines they will cross, but what what won't they do to get what they want? No, I like. That. I really like that one because that's a very superhero antihero thing. Yeah, like what's the thing that you will not do to get what you want? So I think that's well, that's, that's a big storyline in Batman Dark Knight, right? The Joker wants him to cross that line that he won't cross, and it's an uh, it's an unspoken rule, right? Right? No one actually comes out and says it, but the Joker's like, "I'm going to get you to do the thing that you swear you would never do." Right, so, and it's built in. It it, it says as much about the character as what he will do. Exactly. No, I I like that a lot. So last, last question on this one, when it comes to character building us to things like that, a little bit more deeper in the weeds. And this answer isn't found in the book. So this is coming from us here. We can reflect in the book. if We need to on this one. But when someone says that their main character lacks depth and that that main character doesn't mean anything to them, what kind of advice do you have for that writer? And handling that character moving forward. 
So this is them. They're saying this about their own character that they don't think their character has depth. Yep. Well, um, I, I would, I would ask them, I, I would ask them some of those questions that I just like went through that we all went through. I think that's the, I think that's the first bit of advice I would give is just like dig deeper. You got to get curious about your, I, I mean, to try Jane's point, um, you got to get curious about the character. Like you got to like, Ask you got to ask them questions as if you as if you were talking to a friend or family member, even deeper than a friend or family member. I think because there's a level of honesty and 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 just raw truth you can get out of a character that you may never ever be able to get out of a family member or a friend. So, um, yeah, I think you have to be willing to ask. Think I would say think of the toughest question that you would ask your closest friend and then start there, because then that then you know, that's where the build depth. Yeah, my, mine's kind of similar. Like, I would do something like have them have a conversation, you know, an uncomfortable conversation, or or do a free write around them um, having a conversation with someone, you know, that would they that would butt up against that conflict and be like, okay, how are they going to move past this conversation? You know what I mean? And see how they react to that conversation. Having that dialogue, even hearing your character speak, um, is going to be really helpful on that too. Well, cause I think, I think in part because, um, so like if you, I would say, cause it sounds like if someone is saying that like, oh, I don't think my character has depth, then that means that they're like looking for a way to connect to that character. So they may, uh, the, the avenue may be to try to like find personal ways to attach yourself to that character. So I would even like think of a question that you would be very uncomfortable being asked and then ask that of that character. That's, that, good too. Uh, that's a quick way to create depth because you know that's depth for you because that's a question you don't want to deal with. Ask that of the character. Um, think of the things that like, and on the flip side, what's something, what's a question that you wish someone asked you about your life or something that, think, I think about the last time you were in a situation where you were pissed off and you wish someone had took the time to maybe ask you a question first before they assumed, you know, how you felt or how they felt. I don't know. Just think like, I would say to that writer in that situation, it seems like the disconnect is that you aren't feeling that um, there isn't something about them that feels 3D to you. So think about the hard stuff in your own existence and try to maybe some do some copy and paste possibly. Well, also, when you say 3D, like what facet is missing? Like, is there an emotional piece? Is it a um, empathy? You know, I'm just trying to figure out like, if you if you kind of can pin down what your character is in handling the way you think they should, maybe that's the thing to sit down and have that do that dialogue, that back and forth, or some sort of free ride around it, and try to figure out okay, how is my character going to react when when they have to deal with this thing that I feel like they're lacking? Yeah, and yeah. also too, if this is a character building stage, that's one thing. If this is drafting. If you're drafting the story, you're feeling that way. It may not be the character. It may be something else structurally. So no, that's you true kind too. of interrogate the where you're at in the process and why you're feeling that way too. Because if you're in the if you're just in character building, then maybe that's what's going on. But it could be something else with draft. And that could really change too if you're in the revision phase too and something's not working. You know? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, I. I asked this question for a specific reason because I know, you know, through the MFA program reading, 
some people have, have mentioned like, hey, I don't like this certain character. I don't like the main character because of X. And it, I think it's a legit question to ask ourselves and be able to answer. Um, I kind of bring it back around to, to Will, who hasn't um, been able to jump in yet. Um, you know, grill him, right? What is Will does best on these episodes where we interview people, right? Will knows how to grill and ask questions. And I've come to Will and ask questions about characters and Man, the way he asks questions about things I never even think about, like you really got to look at all aspects of your characters and stuff like that. And just, you know, as you said, Brent, interrogate them and things like that to really get to know them and build that 3D model of that character. Um, well, thanks for answering those questions, guys. We're we're going to jump into chapter two now. And this is I think this is just a, a good rah, rah, rah. Let's go kind of <laughs> cheer. Right here, but right, it why? is about because it's the conversation that we're always talking about imposter syndrome. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh yes this this is the one where it's like to me. I was like, oh yeah, I I know what this is. I know what it feels like. I never know how to get around it, but it seems like no one else does either, other than talking to yourself. But I mean, like Charlie Jane lists four things about imposter syndrome. There is no magic wand. You are a writer when you write words. Again, there is no magic wand. You are a writer when you write words. I think this is one of the biggest things that stood out to me in chapter two was this one alone because of the experiences that Charlie Jane had when someone didn't consider her a writer because she didn't have professional hair. Someone didn't consider her a writer because the, her work was better than they expected of her. And to me, like we, I mean, we've all been there. We've all seen it happen to other people. There are gatekeepers that are going to be there, but they're wrong. And this, this is what the first one kind of tells me is like, no, if you're writing words, you're a writer, plain and simple. There's no, there's no if, ands or buts. Like you're doing the thing. You don't need permission from other people to be that. Um, the other thing she talks about with imposter syndrome, it lasts forever. It's something we always deal with. It's something that we had to get through. She talks about the rules and she says, screw the rules. There, there are no hard set fast rules, right? Which is why I really love this book. Um, and the, and the, the other big one here. So one in four or the big ones from here is find people who support you. And I think that speaks the biggest truth when it comes to imposter syndrome is really finding people who support you and your community in which you can feel supported and things like that. Hint, hint, wink, wink. If you haven't joined our discord channel, you can find it in the <laughs> show notes, join our link, get a buddy. Let's do this. Um, any, any thoughts from chapter two? Yeah, I mean it's 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 true. It's forever. You're never gonna get rid of it. There's no there's no amount of unfortunately there's no amount of success where you'll ever magically get to wave it away. Now that's not to say it's going to be all doom and gloom and you won't ever be feeling yourself and there won't be days where you feel like the shit because you will have those days too. And um, when those days come, embrace them because they're just you know they're just as um they're just as valid as the days when you're fighting off the imposter syndrome so imposter syndrome is forever it's never ever gonna go away and i'm telling you now i gotta i can see this fucking hugo right here in the corner and it doesn't (laughs) 
and I and it didn't wave away imposter syndrome. It didn't make it disappear. It didn't make it like. In fact, if anything, it amplified it. Like that's then that's the that's the weird, like inverse equation sometimes that happens with success. Sometimes the more success you find, the more of an imposter you feel like, because it's almost like, wait, did they mean to get that shit to me? Uh, nah, nah, that was an accident. That, that had to be a flaw. That was a fluke. That was, that that couldn't have been the real thing. I don't deserve this shit. <laughs> and you know, and then um, yeah, it happens. Like, or even now, like. People actually want to read this book that I'm working on. Oh shit! Like uh, they, they, they must be, they must be mistaken. This can't be, this can't be true, you know. And, and it's so it's never ever goes away. And I would like, I would love to lie to you and say that success somehow makes it go away, but it doesn't. All you can, all you have to do. The only thing I would say, and I think Charlie James speaks to this, is that you just gotta show up, and you just gotta keep showing up, and um, and that's really all there is to it. There's going to be parts that suck. There's going to be, you're going to deal with, um, you're going to do a gatekeeping bullshit, especially if you have any kind of marginalization that you can tag on to, uh, who you are, uh, especially, unfortunately in science fiction, you'll, you'll, in fantasy, you'll run into that in this field. Um, but my one, uh, I think of this, um, uh, Sheree Renee Thomas had this thread on Twitter the other day that was talking about this somewhat and, for a lot of us, our first gatekeeper is ourselves. And um, if Ain't I had that, that the be, truth. <laughs> yeah, we, we gatekeep ourselves before anybody else does. And um, what I would say is, is, you know, if you're wondering if you belong, then I, I guarantee you belong. And, I, and, you know, there's just read through the horror stories of what some of these agents go through and some of the response they get in their inbox from people who have zero lack of confidence that this story should have been picked up and it should have been published in a million different bookstores. Yeah, no, what stood out to me, I honestly, the most, uh, is the screw the rules section, mostly because I've been to countless conferences. You take classes, you have teachers telling you, you know, that honestly, the thing that, that really stuck with me is the prologue thing because I've had workshops where people were like, well, you have a prologue and you know, you're not supposed to do prologues anymore. It's like, why can't I do a prologue if I want to do a prologue? You know what I mean? Like who's saying, and there's people doing more second person these days and stuff like that. So for me, I just feel like, uh, if you want to do it, pull it off. You know what I mean? And, and don't let, and like, like you guys were saying, don't let your, uh, don't let yourself be the first gatekeeper too on that um no the screw the rules section was perfect i i love it uh you just need to 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 do what you do and and pull it off and it'll work because that's what you need to produce right yeah 100 percent. i love screw the rules section because it is true there's always gatekeepers there's always someone there to tell you that you can't do that or you have to do it a certain way and charlie jane even calls herself out that if you ever hear her saying that she says like don't like tell me that I'm being like that because sometimes like it does come out certain ways. Mm -hmm. Like we all have our own biases, but I like how Charlie Jane is openly invited. Like, Hey, like call me out if I'm doing this because that's going against what I'm, I'm preaching. And she doesn't want to be like that. Um, really, really like this section. I think it's an important one. If you have this book, please, 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 please read this section. Um, I actually, I, I enjoy chapters three and four, um, but I definitely want to get to chapter five, which is going to take the rest of the episode here. Um, chapter three is about the hero um, teacher. 
So, uh, Marshall, I know as a teacher yourself, I'd love for you to kind of give us some insight on this on like, from a professional standpoint, like how does that feel when you know that someone had a teacher, like be their hero for them to really help them get through a hard time and giving them the permission they needed to be themselves and do what they wanted. Yeah. I know being on both sides of it, it's, it's important. Uh, I had a teacher in my life that encouraged me to write and that was kind of the reason that I started doing this. But at the same time, like I, there's something to be said when, when a student that I've had reaches back and I taught English forever and I have students reach back and be like, you know, I hated that you made me read this, or I hated that you made me watch this, but now I'm a huge fan of X, Y, and Z. And now I'm writing. Now I want to be a teacher. Like those are the kind of things that really, man, it feels good. You know, it feels like, you know, you have a hundred students a year and if three or four of them reach back five, six years later and be like, you know, I really, I'm sorry. I was an ass a lot of that year, but I really look back fondly on our time together and I really appreciate you. Now I want to be a teacher. Like that's a huge thing. It makes it feel like it's, um, you're actually making a difference. You know what I mean? You, you, we spin our wheels at work every day, regardless of what we're doing. But when we make that impact, make that sale impact that person's life in some way, it's, it's a big deal. So, um, it feels good. Um, and it's, and it's important to know that even though it may not happen right away, like it might happen five, six, seven years later, but somebody might reach out to you and say, thank you. And it's, it means a lot, you know, I've still to this day, haven't been able to find my seventh grade teacher and reach out to him and tell him how much it meant to me that he liked my stupid short story. I wrote about some night or something, you know what I mean? Like it was just something, it was my first little foray into fantasy and, and he encouraged me and that was a big deal. No, I really like that. I, I appreciate you sharing your story there. Um, definitely go and read chapter three. It's a really, really good one. I loved, I really like chapter two a lot or chapter four a lot as well. This is all about finding the joy in making a mess. Um, I love the chapter title, the full chapter title here. Let me actually read that for you here. You know, embrace uncertainty, uncertainty, the joy of making a giant mess. And then the opening line is, I can still remember the last time I felt like a total confused noob as a writer. It was a couple weeks ago. Right? So, Brent. God, that's so reassuring I mean, like, to hear published authors This say book like came that. out in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote yeah. it during 2020. So, it, you did the math there. And this book just won a Hugo and she admits full on here. She felt like a noob a few weeks ago, like while writing this. Um, so chapter four is a really, really important one, you know, embracing the mess and the chaos of it, the mental gymnastics, but there's a section in here that I'm encouraging everyone to read and it's highlighted in gray. What do you do when your story wanders off course? Oh, I like that. Yeah. So this is a really good section and it's, it's in here and I want to cover a couple things real quick. And it, oh, it, so it opens as this, you set out to write a story about a man who is in love with his own clone, but somewhere along the way, you ended up writing dozens of pages about the bakery where the clone buys scones. Soon you have a story about a bakery where the man and his clone are minor characters. And is this a problem? 
So it kind of dives into this issue of diagnosing what is a problem, what is broken and things like that for you. So give that a read um, offline here um, and come back to the discord and tell us about it. Cause there's a lot of good things in that little subsection there, but I really want to get to chapter five. Everything is broken. What should I write about? When, when Charlie Jane says everything is broken, it's not about the writing. It's about the world that we live in. It's about our reality, our day-to-day choices and things like that. Um, And I think this is where Charlie Jane really hits a home run in this section for me. Um, You know, because if you look back on on your own life, you can see different points where things you felt like things were broken in the world. Charlie Jane highlights a couple of them in in here, you know, dating back to 2001, you know, struggling with the USA Patriot Act um, and things like that. And I have like, you know, a a couple of things that I pulled out of the section that I want to mention again here um, that Charlie talks about right to survive or write whatever you need to survive is one of the first big sections here. I'm going to read a little bit of this for you guys here. When the whole world is on fire and people you love are at risk, what should you write about? Whatever you feel able to write, whatever will make you feel like you can keep living and fighting, write the thing you're ready and excited to write. Not the thing that you feel that the moment calls for or the story that you think will fix every broken thing in the world. Your job is to survive and maybe to help others to survive. That's it. That's more than plenty. So kind of want to pass to you guys on this one a little bit. Um, and I know we've we've talked about it before a little bit in the in, in the introduction here, but world's broken how do you survive through writing uh, oh, open edit here we kind of touched on it on the introduction one so i know like it may be a recap or we can dive a little deeper well you see you see she go she explains it so well um yeah yeah i don't know what really to say beyond what she said beyond i mean because what she said pretty much is is the root of it you write to you gotta write with um so don't try to write what the moment calls for. And I think what Charlie is speaking to in that in that aspect, maybe I can just expound on that a little bit, is I think the pressure that a lot of I know this is something that especially like I think a lot of um of speculative writers of color have to deal with in terms of like trying to figure out like writing about the fantastical things we write about, because often Within our communities, the speculative fiction writing isn't seen as the seriously important writing, the writing that's, you know, doing the work. I'm not out here being Toni Morrison. I'm not out here being, despite the fact Toni Morrison was very speculative, but that's another subject. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm not out here being, you know, James Baldwin. So it's like, you feel sometimes it's like, damn, it's like this is the best use of my talents in, in respect to like my people's journey our place in the world or whatever so and i think i think what she was speaking to is that pressure that you know you sometimes feel to um 
to write a serious, important, weighty work when honestly that's not what that's not that's not what's gonna make you a better writer because you're not writing to your heart. You have to write to your heart. And I think that's what she's saying. Like if you're if you're going to I think what I think what she's saying is rising to the moment isn't like trying to be lofty. Rising to the moment is being true to yourself despite everything else going on around you. Yeah. And I do not to say I disagree, but I do feel like if you feel like you need to write something in response to another thing, I definitely think that's okay. As long as we're not looking to like publish and you just need to write out your emotions. Um, Cause to me, those are two different things. Writing to your emotions and working through something and then writing to publish to fix something. Those are two different things. In my opinion, there. Yeah, and I think, and I, I, I think I, I agree with you. And I think what uh, I think, I guess, the big difference is, is are you doing it because you think you should, or are you doing it because you're actually being driven yeah. to? Like, if in that moment you just have a flash of anger and you're like, "Fuck this," and I want to write about this, yeah. I go for it. But if it's like you feel like I'd really rather write this story about Tinkerbell, but this news item is right here in my face and maybe I should write about it. And I think you need to evaluate. Why yeah. You're doing and, it. So my, yeah. And I've, and I've had that. I was going to ask too, you a I'm separate sorry, question because you've have had a piece that's been published yeah. that your world was broken at the time and you wrote something so profound and it, it is on our blog page on our website. If you guys want to go back and revisit it, but kind of like for you, that was a survival technique, more or less. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit on your process there and like how that helped you through that time? Yeah, because I was pissed off and I wasn't, I didn't think a random blog post would be published worthy. And I don't know if it even mattered whether it was published or not, but it had to be written for me to stay sane in that moment because I was upset about all the bullshit in the world. I mean, it was a response to George Floyd and that was just one of those things that I was just, I was sick and tired of all this shit. And so I wrote it, but, um, my process was angry rant. People reading angry rant, a friend of mine working for NBC saying, Hey, do you think if you polish this angry rant, (laughs) you'd want to put it on NBC? And I was like, yeah, maybe sure. You know, but like I didn't, and like you were saying, Nick, it's like, not like I think that that piece didn't change the world in any way, shape or form, but it, changed my world and it helped me, you know, and it helped the people around me understand me. And like I was telling you, there were so many people that came out of the woodworks trying to talk to me about that piece. I said, I don't want to talk to you, read it. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't want to process that. Like you can read it and you know, and that's, that's where I'm at. But uh, on a different note though, what I think is really interesting and just to kind of expand upon what Brent was saying, as far as Charlie, Charlie Jane is um, on page 48, she says, except that you might need to be okay with changing gears on the regular because the thing you felt like working on today may not be the same thing that feels good tomorrow. Um, I've only written one other thing similar to that since then. And it's been how many years? Three, right? Um, right now I'm, I'm, I'm writing black people flying spaceships. <laughs> In, in, in space and I'm having fun with that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's what I need to write. And I think changing gears and being able to do that and shift between angry and, and pro- angry processing and just, I want to write 
a fucking story that is cool. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And I, it, so you kind of segue into the next seg- section here as well on the next two here. Um, with that, I, and I want to recognize too, like Charlie, Charlie Jane said it right there. You write to survive and maybe help others survive along the way. Right. And I, I, I wholeheartedly feel like that's what that piece was for you, Marshall. And I know it helped others. Yeah. It helped me understand more as like a cis white man. Like I don't have to, ex- I don't experience that, but it helped me understand more of what you do and what you and Brent go yeah. through. Right. Um, so I appreciate that post that blog post that you didn't think was worthy i don't think it was awesome <laughs> um so i the next section i actually found really interesting i wanted to get you guys thoughts on it um you can't escape writing politics so just write them i found that super interesting because i actually tend not to try to write politics like well current politics yet it bleeds through my work so kind of, I want to open this one up to discussion. Um, what are your guys' thoughts about this section here about writing to politics or not writing to politics? Or if you don't have a choice, it's going to happen no matter what because of how people would interpret well, it. Yeah. Um, I, there's a quote. I can't remember who said it. I wish I could, but it's always stuck with me. And the quote is, the personal is always political. And basically the whole idea of it is, is that you don't, who you are as a person, every choice you make as a person, everything you do as a person has politics behind it, has, you know, has uh, a, either an acknowledgement or, yeah, it all has politics behind it. Like, but everything from the car you choose to drive to, you know, the, the, things you choose to do at work or the way you, you know, interact with your coworkers or, or what you, or how you feel about, you know, a city in another country, all of that, whatever, all of it is every choice you make is a political choice. And there's no such thing. Even the idea of trying to avoid politics is still a political choice. Isn't that the craziest thing though? Yeah. It being apathetically trying to be trying to create political apathy is still politics. Yeah. So well, I think about it this way too. Let's say you're in a fantasy setting and you're an assassin and you don't agree with your order given to you, or you don't agree with the king not being able to feed the poor. That's politics right there, right? Political choice. That it's yeah. It, political. Mm-hmm. Which is like the craziest thing to think about because it's like, no, I'm not writing about Republicans and Trump and like Democrats and like, I don't write that. And I write that. Yeah. I write that. Like, let's be honest. Like, it's there. It's just subco- it's there, it's it's subconscious. Well, yeah, the thing is, you can't help but write to the moment, right? Or like, I think about, um, I think about this one character from X Men. So there was this from the old animated series where there was. The Emperor Dekin of the Shi'ar Empire, who was clearly unhinged, clearly a, a person who had no business on the throne, and Gladiator's like, well, I know he's fucked up, but I my my services to the throne, no matter who sits on it. Well, in his mind, he's probably thinking, I I have no choice in this matter. I'm simply just doing as I'm, you know, as my duty calls. And it's like, no, you very much made the choice. You chose to support a madman, and you use duty as a screen to like uh, to not deal with having to make a choice so i I always think of like 
that particular moment when people talk about, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not really political. It's like, yeah, you're, you're, the, you're, you're political. You just don't want to have to actually take a stance. We actually saw this in Black Panther, right? I'm yeah, loyal to absolutely. the throne. I'm loyal to Wakanda. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that was a very defining moment in that, in that story. And I, I love that movie. Um, absolutely love it. Thank you guys for answering those questions. So I'm going to move on to the last section here. Um, and I think this one's a fun section for me. And I, it's a fun one to end on. Right. So it's all about dreams, right? Your day dreams could change the world is the name of this section. Right. So let's talk about daydreams. Like, Brant Marshall, you well, obviously you guys are black writers, and we've heard multiple times through guests, through you guys, through just keep writing about black. Why can't I just be a black writer and write about dragons? So I want to know what is it you want to write about where there's no pressure, where it's just something fun for you, and like what do you daydream about like during the day that you want to write that you may or may not have permission to write yet from yourself. Um. I don't know, actually, because I don't think what I'm working on, I don't I don't feel like I have. I don't feel like I have the barriers that I used to have about like what I would and wouldn't let myself write. Now, I know the things that I avoided writing, but I never felt like it was a lack of permission. It was more just like, I don't think I'm ready to touch that yet personally. But I think I moved past the point of feeling like I need permission to write something. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind. Of, I'm kind of with you, Brent. I feel like at this point, I if I'm writing something, it's because I want to write it and I just need to write it, and that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like there are certain things, like I was saying earlier, I don't think there are some stories that I want to tell that I probably won't tell right now, but at some point I plan to. You know what I mean? Um, but I daydream all the time. I mean, I have a really weird imagination. My dreams are all fucked up, you know? So like at some point, some of that stuff's going to come out of the page, right? you know? Um, so yeah, man, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited to just experiment with whatever I can come up with, honestly. So no, I, you know, I love it. I, I love this section. Um, you know, it's, 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 for me, it was a really good section, kind of eye opening and kind of helped me through. Oh, this novelette, Marshall, you and I just have to write <laughs> for school. Oh, man. And, yeah. So it really helped me get through that. consumed that. me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not even lying. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, this this book really helps. It's really empowering. I love this section. Retaking a look at characters. Retaking a look at yourself with imposter syndrome and really, like, understanding, like, that's the thing that we need to work through. Um, you know, find a good support group out there. Again, our discord channel was posted in the show notes. Um, jump in if you already have it. Um, you know, but I, I love this last chapter, you know, your daydreams could change the world. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing. 